Hello and welcome to the latest episode of our Private Wealth and Charities podcast and the next instalment of our podcasts on the HSF Trust Company Survey. In these podcasts, we discuss the results of an extensive survey of trust companies that we concluded earlier this year in January 2020. And we're counting down from seven to one the most significant risks that trust companies are facing today. My name is Richard Norwich and I'm a partner specialising in private wealth, trust disputes and charities matters. Today, I'm joined by my colleague Eleanor Hogg, an associate in our cyber and data security team. So we've reached the podium places in our countdown of risks faced by trust companies. And today we're focusing on cyber security risks, which our respondents identified as the third most significant risk they face. Thanks, Richard. And hello, all. Cybersecurity has become a board level issue for many organisations and digital strategies that make the most of technology bring efficiencies and growth opportunities, but with that also bring a large range of risks. Many trust companies consider the risk of a cyber attack to be one of the greatest challenges they face. Trustees surveyed in the HSF Trust Companies Survey thought that phishing, impersonation and malware are the main cyber challenges they face today. 33% of respondents said that they saw phishing as the main risk, while 22% identified impersonation as the main risk and 14% malware. So you use the term phishing. I mean, obviously, we we hear it quite a lot. But what exactly do you mean when you use the word phishing, Eleanor? So phishing is a fraudulent attempt to sort of obtain sensitive information. So things like usernames, passwords or credit card details by pretending to be a trustworthy entity in an email, text or on social media, so sites like Facebook or Twitter. Phishing attacks can then install malware, which we go into a bit later, which is then designed to disrupt, damage or gain unauthorised access to a computer system with a view to infiltrate systems or steal intellectual property or money. Phishing is a big problem at the moment and the NCSC, the UK's National Cybersecurity Centre, guessed that there is about 1.5 million new phishing sites created around the world every month. Goodness, 1.5 million. Wow. Mm. So, so what's the difference then between phishing and impersonation? The difference with impersonation is that it can be used in conjunction with phishing or spear phishing and involves the hacker pretending to be someone trusted. So it can be the guy from IT that you're quite friendly with or the customer services representative from the bank with a view to tricking the victim into voluntarily doing something. In a trust company in particular, impersonation might come in the form of emails claiming to be from beneficiaries asking for the distributions from the trust fund. One trust commented in the survey in particular that in their experience, most of the phishing attempts that their business sees results from successful attacks on beneficiaries and settlers, which are then used to create sophisticated template emails which require a combination of both a high level of training to ensure that relationship managers identify them and callbacks to known contact numbers to combat them. We also mentioned malware, which can um, stem from a phishing email. And malware is a type of malicious software. So it might be in a phishing email where someone clicks on the link and the link will then be the malware that is placed on the machine. And it's a software, a program or a file that can be harmful to a computer. There are lots of different types of malware around now, including viruses, worms, Trojan horses, ransomware and adware. Thanks a lot for that. So what, what else did our survey tell us? Well, perception of the main cyber risks have been born out of reality, really. Some 40% of the trust company surveys said that they had suffered a phishing attack and 28% an impersonation attack. 18% of the trust company surveys had experienced a malware attack, but CEO fraud and distributed denial of service were far rarer with only 10% and 3% of trust companies experienced attacks of this kind. 
only 1% had suffered an insider attack, which is perhaps likely due to the rigorous screening of personnel both prior to and during employment. So with all these attacks and all the different ways that people can try and get into the systems of trust companies, how should trust companies try and defend themselves? I think that one of the most important ways is to train people to spot these types of attacks. 44% of the respondents to the survey said that they were already doing this. There are also some other things you can do, so hard basics that can be deployed by using a layered approach to bolster security defences. One of these layers might involve making it harder for attackers to reach users. This could involve filtering, blocking incoming emails, implementing anti-spoofing controls and reducing the amount of information you can make public on websites or social media. Hackers can, and often do, find out a significant amount of information about the system, software and data centres used by a business simply by looking online or on the LinkedIn profiles of their IT support staff. There are also other steps you can take to protect your organisation from the effects of undetected phishing emails. For example, you could use two-factor authentication, which makes it harder for attackers to access accounts. You could also ensure that authorization gives privileges only to people who need them and install endpoint monitoring and protection software to try and intercept or detect malware. You can also help protect your users from malicious actors by use of a proxy server, a server which screens incoming and outgoing web communications and ensuring that browsers and other softwares are up to date. 41% of the respondents to the survey said they were investing in security, with 38% saying that they ensured operating systems are updated and patched 38% saying they blocked access to restricted sites, 36% saying they disabled access to external media, and 28% saying they prevented downloads. Trust companies are also active in threat detection, with 36% saying that they constantly monitored their systems, and 31% carrying out penetration testing to identify vulnerabilities and see whether their defences could withstand an attack. On the other hand, only a third of trust companies, 34%, said that they chose to encrypt data on their systems, which could reflect the challenges of implementing some type of encryption, such as on-disk encryption, without interrupting business as usual. These types of measures are also contemplated by various accreditations, such as the Cyber Essentials and Cyber Essentials Plus. A fifth of the trust company surveys were adopting Cyber Essentials accreditation, a government-backed scheme to ensure a minimum level of cyber resilience. And and looking at it from a a different angle, the same issue, what, what are the regulators expecting of people? Well, regulators expect organisations to prevent attacks and it is prudent to obtain legal advice regularly upon the regulators' expectations and how they are developing in line with rapidly evolving technology. In the UK and Europe, the GDPR reflects that the security one should implement should take into account the state of the art. Seven of the top ten fines by data protection regulators in Europe last year were for inadequate technical and organisational measures under the security of processing provisions of Article 32 in the GDPR. The ICO in the UK has recently powerfully emphasised the importance of hard basics that we mentioned earlier. It recently issued two fines following personal data breaches at the top level allowed under the pre-GDPR regime, £500,000, for inadequate technical and organisational measures. In one case, the ICO specifically mentioned failure to attend to network segregation, firewalls, software patching, regular vulnerability scanning, penetration and vulnerability testing, application whitelisting, systems for logging and monitoring, updating software, point-to-point encryption, secure domain administrator accounts, and adopting standard builds for all system components. In the other, it simply noted that the entity had failed to satisfy four out of the five NCSE's basic cyber essentials guidance. Just to wrap up, given that even the most secure organisations can still suffer cyber attacks, 
there's now an increased emphasis on an organisation's ability to respond to, recover and learn from attacks quickly. Financial service regulators are asking firms to ensure that they can deliver operational resilience in their important business services. Rapid detection and containment of any cyber incident is essential and any measures to protect your organisation should include a way to deliver prompt and effective incident response, which can do much to mitigate the harm any attack might cause and may reduce the likelihood of regulators taking enforcement action against you. Thanks very much for those insights, Eleanor. And on that note, we will conclude our latest podcast on the HSF Trust Company's survey. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you found the podcast of interest. If you would like more information about trust, charities and private wealth and our views on some interesting recent cases from this sphere, please head over to the HSF Private Wealth and Trust Disputes blog by following the link in the podcast notes. If you're interested in the type of matters our cybersecurity and IEP practice or our private wealth and charities practices may be able to assist you with, please uh, follow the other links that you'll find there in those podcast notes, which will take you to our website. And we'll be back soon with the next instalment of our series on the HSF Trust Companies survey, which will reveal the second most significant risk faced by trust companies.